Welcome to Slant Podcast. This is your host, Dana Tassoen Burgess. This podcast is an ongoing conversation around the Asian American experience through the lens of artists and luminaries. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Eunice Lau, a New York-based director, writer, and producer. Ms. Lau is a former journalist and a descendant of immigrants displaced by conflict. She is drawn to stories about the journey of migrants and the profundity of hyphenated identities. Her feature documentary, Accept the Call, set in Minnesota's Somali community, explores the impact of inherited trauma. It aired on PBS and Canal Plus after screening at acclaimed film festivals such as Human Rights Watch and Woodstock. Her second feature documentary, A-Town Boys, explores the struggles of growing up Asian-American in the South and is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video and Tubi. Her work is supported by eminent organizations, including the Jerome Foundation, the Tribeca Film Institute, and Women Make Movies, among others. Ms. Lau earned a Master's of Fine Arts in Film from New York University and a Bachelor of Arts in Politics, Philosophy, and Economics from the University of York. Welcome, Eunice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dana. I'd like to start at the beginning with our guests, and I'd like to ask, how and where did you grow up? I grew up in Singapore, and I came to the United States 15 years ago. My grandparents and great-grandparents are from China and also came down to Southeast Asia and married to local women. So I do have also origins of traceable Chinese blood, but I mm. identify as Chinese. And was there anyone who was a documentarian or a journalist within the realm of storytelling within your family? No, but, you know, my mom is a teacher, but she also used to write Chinese children's stories. And I grew up with a lot of books. And my grandmother's way of babysitting me was to put me in front of TV. We watch lots of movies together. We'll go to the cinema and I'll sit on her lap. And if there's no one next to her, she would just put me on the seat next to her. That's how I basically grew up watching a lot of TV and movies. Mm. And your moving from where you were born, where you grew up, to America... What was that experience like? I came here for film school and mm-hmm. I can't eventually stayed because I found my community here. And in many ways, I felt like America reminded me of Singapore in the sense that we're both immigrant societies and we have a lot of different cultures and races coming together and also evolving on their own. And I think what really resonated with me was how this definition of what it means to be American, what it means to be Singaporean national identity is continuously evolving because Mm -hmm. of the new immigrants who bring their own experiences, their own culture into it. And so a lot of the stories that I do sort of touch on that immigrant experience because I think it's something that is deeply part of my search, my own journey to understand what it means to be who I am and to also unpack some of the trauma that came with that, that I inherited unknowingly. 
And there's this process of discovery and, and listening to stories and sort of telling them here in America as a filmmaker that I got in touch with my own emotions and find answers for myself. Your work often focuses on hyphenated identities. It's sort of this place in between varying worlds, in between socioeconomic realities and generational beliefs. And it seems like this hyphenated place for you is where trauma also resides. Do you think that's a good assessment of how you see the struggles of hyphenated identities? Yes, absolutely. I think when you have this the confluence of two societies or multiple societies, the influences in which we inherited and sort of competing for the influences that inform us in our present lives. And it's from the collision of two, sometimes they complement each other and sometimes they... And I think there exists a lot of confusion and a lot of tension within ourselves as well as with our families who also sometimes find it hard for them to come to terms with the fact that we will evolve differently from them. I think when I was growing up, I was often told that I'm not Chinese enough, I'm not this and that enough. And I think when our elders tell us things like that, they want us to do better. They're so afraid that they'll lose us, you know, our cultural touchstone. It was their way of trying to draw us closer to them. But at the same time, I think it's also negative because it's a sort of way of not allowing us to grow and also to understand what are the things that influence us. But also, I think that is the unspoken, what brought them there and what created us to be in this space is also part of that trauma. Because I had a curious mind that I would ask my grandmother to tell me stories about the past. Even then, it's not easy for them to unpack a lot of the painful parts of their, how they were adopted or rejected. So a lot of that is the silence, but then it sort of translates into their ways of interacting with you. Not to say that we need to harp on our past, but I think it's that understanding of what you inherited and how you can move forward with it. Right. And also, what actually compelled them to leave the countries, the trauma that they bring with them. And when they do not confront it or address it, it does somehow translate down to the next generation and it will just carry on until we sort of deal with it. It's generally what I experience as what we call intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this question of whether the hyphen between two things connects or actually disconnects, right? Yes. Whether it's a, a barrier or whether it's a connector. It's very interesting. I'm actually really interested in your work. In a way, we do explore similar themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of your work also talks about this hyphenated identity. Through these years of trying to portray that and what you have uncovered. Because I'm half Korean, half American background, but my Korean side is this old plantation family. They all worked on a plantation in Hawaii, picking sugarcane and pineapple. There's this sort of built-in trauma of that American experience, right? That's built in. And then I grew up in Santa Fe in New Mexico, which was a completely different 
community of cultures that would clash at times. So I think that all of those things made me see the world from a very voyeuristic perspective, where I'm constantly sitting back and listening to stories and seeing how people's lives unfold and trying to figure out what the commonality is between them all. Because I'm a big believer that we really only have a few stories in terms of humanity's stories, right? We have stories of love, of redemption, of loss, and that these just keep unfolding and retelling themselves through different individuals, through different cultural stories. That's what I'm interested in, is like finding these common storylines and trying to figure out how to retell them mm. through different perspectives, different people's viewpoints. Yeah, I think the journey of making a film or the production really is never mm. easy. And sometimes you wonder like at some point, what is the point? But when you see the reaction of the audience and you have people coming up to you and they're with tears in their eyes saying, you know, I'm not Asian, but this resonates so much with me. And it just, that is the reason why we tell stories, right? Then you go, oh, wow, it has moved people, not just my people, quote unquote. And that is because uh, we are telling stories that's so universal that it has that sort of, um, like you said, the same love and redemption that we're all searching for, it resonates. So, and then we're so grateful to be having this privilege of being an artist and doing what we love. Definitely. I think we understand deeply the transformative power of art and also how important allowing people to have a safe place to call home, to be mm -hmm. accepted in, to have a place in which they can dream freely of their own futures, right, is really important. Yeah. It's when I was filming Accept the Call, I did remember at one point when I was behind the camera saying, I've heard this story before. I've seen this before. And it was, what I meant was that it reminded me of A-Town Boys because I worked on it before. And I felt like it was the same pain and anger that I was like experiencing when I was interviewing them and they were sharing the story with me. And I was like, there's the same feeling of displacement, the same confusion. Mm -hmm. It's sort of detective work, isn't it? In order to understand how an individual can self-actualize, to sort of move forward and evolve from those very personal histories. And it takes a lot of work. It's easier to ignore them and to just tell yourself that it don't matter, but of course it does. It's easier for us to just move forward and ignore what we do not know. I, I come back to this this example of Zachariah Abdurrahman, who is one of the main characters in my film, Accept the Call. He's a Somali-American born in Minnesota. And part of the work that I did in my interaction over the three and a half years we're filming together we started a book club and I'll send him books when, while he was still in prison. And one of the books that I sent him was The Refugee by Beard. Uh -huh. uh, and he loved it. He was so amazed and he said, I never knew that the Vietnamese American experience is so similar to the Somali American and how they, they fled the conflict, how they came to the country, how much trauma they brought with them. I was like, 
there is actually so much shared experiences between the different ethnic groups and races. It's actually the commonality of what we went through, even though it's different conflict, but it is what enables us to understand each other in the way that I felt very close to a lot of things that Zachariah was saying and felt because those were also in many ways my experience. And so unpacking all of that together with him using literature and brings us two persons from different culture together. So this is the reason why I became an artist and filmmaker to be able to enable us to heal using art and to find answers and to bring us closer together. Can you tell us how your feature documentary, Accept the Call, came into being and where it took you? It started a few years before I started filming Accept the Call. Mm -hmm. I went to Somalia and I made a short documentary. And from there, I was so inspired by the making of the story seeing the courageous people and how they're trying to rebuild their their country. But um, at the same time, it makes me wonder about their descendants or the diaspora. It made me think about my own journey back to China to understand my ancestors. I took a year out after university and I did that. I taught English in China. But at the same time, I was thinking about the kids that were born outside of Somalia and how they were doing. I guess I'm always curious to to see from that point of view because I'm one of them, you know, one of this place. And so I told myself that when I go back to America, that I'll love to make a film to look into that. And that opportunity came upon in 2016. There was this big FBI investigation. Right. Yeah. 10 kids were caught up in that sting in the soda. I thought this is the terrible thing that happened. But at the same time, I kind of have a hypothesis that the genesis of their anger and their discontent and with them attempting to leave the country to join ISIS was due to the fallout of 9-11 and how the Islamophobia in the country had pushed these kids to think that they're not wanted by their own country. Mm. So I thought this is maybe a way for me to tell this story. So I went down to Minnesota and I uh, sought permission with um, their families and eventually a few of their families agreed for me to film them. And I decided that it was best for me to just follow one family to tell the story through. So I stayed with them for like three and a half years. And how do you build trust within a community without changing its natural dynamics? I think that trust has to be earned. I think it's the process of always showing up and always being there. And also, you have to always put their interests first and foremostly. If they're not comfortable with certain things, then you have to put down the camera and not film and honor it. So I think that to begin with, you always tell them that whatever you feel uncomfortable, that you don't want to say, you don't have to. I will always ask you questions, but you can choose to tell me as much as you do want to. But it's also about opening up your own experience and being honest with them. And I think Mm -hmm. honesty is just like the most important thing that you need in order to earn trust. It it took me more than a year before Zachariah actually agreed to be interviewed. Before that, his dad and his sister and his family were happy to speak with me. But I had to earn his trust. It took me a longer time. And of course, he was very displaced from his own family. For a period of time as well. Yes. Yeah. 
let's fast forward. Your latest feature documentary, A-Town Boys, explores the struggles of growing up Asian American in the South through the lives of two aspiring young rappers and a Korean gang leader. How did this project come about? Actually, it started way before I set the call. I was a graduate student at NYU, Tisch School of the Arts. I met an actress and we became very good friends. She came from Georgia and really Mm. this is in a way her story. And she told me about um, the gang leader, Eugene. I was so fascinated with it. And then I asked her, could you bring me, can I meet Eugene? Can I film him? And so she said, I don't know, I can ask him. He said, yes. And then the both of us flew to Atlanta to meet him. I just recorded my first interview with him. And from there, it evolved. And uh, I managed to get funding from uh, Spike Lee, my professor. Amazing. He was very supportive of me telling this story, but he was also looking at the work sample. He said, it's not about the gangs and reminding me that this story is much more than that. I said, absolutely. It is a way for us to understand why there are all these young men and women who were joining gangs to find themselves. So that felt like life, a lot of pain, make them feel so marginalized that they need to join gangs in order to sort of find love and empathy. And A-Town Boys has elements of danger and yet also elements of sentimentality. And I was touched by how both of these are very fragile things to capture on film. Can you tell us how you did that? Being a former journalist, I guess, I know how to deal with a hostile environment. But I, I would not say that this was very hostile in the sense that what we're used to. There is still element of danger because we're following people who walk around with guns. So we always have to think about if something goes down, what is plan B and how do we protect ourselves? So that basically allowed me to sort of plan ahead and also not to shy away from certain elements in their story, which I think that I'm not here to sort of make them look good. I'm here to capture their reality. So we didn't shy away from it. But at the same time, I do empathize and their stories resonate with me. You come to love these characters that are in the story that you tell and that you may not agree with some of the decisions they make, but there is a lot of tenderness in approaching and trying to understand where they are coming from. Yeah. It seems like that non-judgmental quality that you bring to your projects allows for a certain truth to shine through. Yeah, I, I think that's really important because you we're not here to, to judge anyone. And I think that we need to remember that. We need to understand there is always obviously a lot of causation that creates it. And so we must be sensitive to it because if we don't try to understand and to empathize, then what is the point telling stories or doing anything really? And how do we even find love and peace? Not to say that it always has to be the motivation, but I think that for us to coexist as human beings, we, we got to find reasons that brings us together more than what tears us apart. Yeah, and absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of us as artists, we you know strive towards that. Has the resurgence of anti-Asian violence affected you and your loved ones? 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the documentaries that I was working on when pandemic happened centers on understanding the, the rise of white supremacy in this country from the story of a Jewish American mom in Montana who was the target of neo-Nazi who launched a troll storm against her. And in the midst of that, and the anti-Asian hate happened, she actually called me and asked me whether I was okay. I was really moved that she was thinking about me when she had gone through a lot worse before. But I said, I'm not surprised why this is happening because I have seen it happen to you. I feel like a lot of these hate elements, Asian hate elements, they all come from the same source of, of the same bigotry. And so I feel even more reasons that we should come together and resist it and fight out. And a way for us to do that is by telling our stories. But at the same time, I'm not going to walk around being a, a walking target or something. So I, I do think about how I can protect myself and my crew. For us, we look out for each other. We protect each other. We're not alone. And I think we have to be grateful for that that sense of solidarity and unity when we can find it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Did you have a mentor? Did I have a mentor? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I have several mentors and they are all great filmmakers and mostly women and mostly minority as well. They have been guiding me throughout my life. I must acknowledge them for paving the way to allow minority female filmmakers like me to do the work that I do today, largely because they paved the way for us. Great. What is your golden dream as an artist? If you could fast forward 10 years into the future, where and what would you be doing? Um, I think I'll still be making films and telling stories. At mm -hmm. least that's why. <laughs> do we mm -hmm. ever start working, perfecting our craft, right? Dina. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just like you, you're writing, you're still running a company. So the same thing that I hope that I will continue to do is not just telling stories and making more films, both narrative and, and, and nonfiction and documentaries. But also, I hope to be able to mentor and, and pave the, the, the way forward for other young, aspiring filmmakers. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, what is next for you? What should we be looking out for in the near future? I have a couple of projects, you know, that I'm working on. One is actually premiering next February. It's called Tro Storm. And it is a story about a Montana Jewish American mom who was the target of a troll storm that was launched by Neo Nazi. And through her story, we try to understand the rise of white supremacy in America, present-day America. Will you tell us again where we can watch A-Town Boys? Yes, you can catch A-Town Boys on Amazon or mm -hmm. Tubi. For Trollstorm, it's actually premiering at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. So if you're in Missoula, please nurse for the screening. The two other films, uh, two other projects that I'm working on, one of them is um, about climate change. Mm. Uh, it's set here in New York City through the life of uh, a compost champion, Domingo Morales, 
and how he struggles to solve um, popularize composting after the suicide of his mentor David Buckle. Hmm. We'll definitely look forward to that and wish you the very best of luck in the future. I was truly moved by your documentaries and I'm a fan, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing more. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for tuning in today. Please rate the podcast on your listening platform and tell your friends. Feel free to contact me at slantpodcast.com. It's always great to hear from you, our listeners. A special thanks to our sponsors, the Dana Tasuan Burgess Dance Company, the Cherry Blossom Giving Circle, and the Daddy Liam Gunawan Hickory Legacy Fund. Mm-hmm.